Tonight we want to look at, going to entitle it, Deity, Devils and Dogs. Deity, Devils and Dogs, okay? Matthew's Gospel 15, and we're going to start reading from verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thy son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So in our passage we see deity in Christ, devils in the daughter, and dogs according to the woman who she was. We want to look at this because there's a, the, another um, gospel is in Mark 7. And if you just sort of, we're going to maybe flick back and forward a little. If you go to Mark chapter 7 and just, maybe you could just, pardon the the double mention, but Mark, Mark uh, chapter 7 and just put something in there because we're going to flick back and forward in your Bible here. Something we need to find, first of all, about this woman. Matthew's account tells us about her in verse 21. Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts. So this lady, this woman who comes to him, uh, she's from the Tyre, Sidon, or Canaan area. The Canaan area was the area where the Lord had brought uh, Israel in from their very early days out of Egypt after their wilderness. And Joshua is the one who pressed right through Moses, then Joshua, to have Israel encamp around this place and take over that land. And so this woman, she's called in Mark's account, if you want to flick over, to Mark chapter 7, and that's your eye run down to verse 24. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into an house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. Now, first of all, we're told in Matthew's account, Matthew 15, that this woman is from Canaan, from the regions of Tyre and Sidon. Then in Mark's account, he tells us she's a Greek and then says she's a Syrophoenician. So how do we marry this up? Well, it's quite simple. The ancient name was Canaan land, and where that was was Canaan, where the Canaanites dwelt. And as I said, uh, Moses and Joshua had conquered with Israel. And then when you go into Mark's account, she was Greek, 
And then she was Syrophoenician. Syrophoenician, it means Syro comes from the name of Syria. She was from the Syria region of Phoenicia, which is the same landmass. So it's, it's right, if you can picture the Mediterranean coast, right at the, the, the western side of the Mediterranean there, and there is Lebanon, right the whole way up there today. That whole coastline down by Gaza was known as Phoenicia. It was Canaan, and it was also known uh, through uh, the, uh, as a place of Tyre and Sidon, the two, two of the main cities, two of the most powerful cities. Now, they were very wicked places. And when we're looking at this, the word Greek, um, sometimes when you read the word Gentile, for example, uh, we need to do a full study in Gentile. It doesn't just mean non-Jewish. It can mean uh, a Gentilized Israelite, someone who's lost their way, like the lost sheep that we read of here. But it also can mean heathen. It can also mean Greek, as we have read in here. So what uh, we're being told off in Mark is the woman was a Greek, and the word for Greek here is the word Helene. Helene. Sometimes when you read Gentile for Greek it may, or, or Gentile for heathen, the word is Goy or Goyim. But here it is the word Helene. And the Helenes were believed by many to be uh, escapees from Egypt that were Israelites. And so they were descended. And so whenever we read later that the, the, the Pharisees said uh, that when Jesus was going away, the Pharisees said, where will he go? Will he go to the dispersed among the Greeks? So that's what they, that, this could well be a woman who was even half Israelite, but she was uh, Syrophoenician. She was a Syrian living in Phoenicia. So that's the, that's the background of this woman. And there's no mix-up with the Scripture. The Scripture totally complements itself. Some people try and say, see, it's mixed up the Scripture. So the places of Tyre and Sidon, if we focus more on Tyre for a moment, the, the, the name for Tyre there, there was a, Tyre became known as a place where there was a purple dyes made for royal robes. For, for example, we even read out later of Lydia being a seller of purple. That meant was the dye came from a little snail, a shell of a snail. Or sometimes it was the mucus inside it. And they took it, and when it was crushed, it was purple, a purpley-blue color. And so that's the thought of being from... Tyranius was the, the, the name given to the dye. And so whenever you hear of Tyre and Sidon, the Lord Jesus mentions the city of Tyre. Tyre became such a place of wickedness, but a real fortified city. Uh, for example... Um, it was an island. It was surrounded by the sea and just a jut of land connecting it to the mainland. And Jesus speaks about it in the book of Ezekiel. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel for a few moments. Just to we find this and show you something of it. Ezekiel chapter 28, please. Ezekiel chapter 28. And let your eye run down to verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now here we notice the spirit behind the king of Tyrus, or Tyre. Notice the, the spirit behind it. It's Satan himself, the devil. Notice. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. That was Satan in the garden. The Lord is referring 
to the king, but he's referring to the spirit operating behind the king, who is Satan himself. Thou hast been in the garden of God. Of course, the garden of God is Eden, when he beguiled the woman and Adam sinned. Notice this. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Very precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold, and workmanship of thy tablets and pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. And by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as purveyor out of the mountain of God, and will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee the ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Notice what he says, and he goes in next to Sidon. Son of man, set thy face against Zidon and prophesy against it. And say, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Zidon, and I will be glorified in the midst of thee, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have executed judgments in her and shall be sanctified in her. Now we could go on reading there, but let's just stop there. You read that when you go home and you'll see God actually did bring judgment upon these two cities. Now Tyre was the main city because it was the fortified. It was impregnable and all armies coming against it, they couldn't conquer it until Alexander the Great, the Greek came. And God said, I'll use him for my glory. And even though he was a heathen king, Alexander the Great came and conquered all that land. In fact, he went as far east as as India, right into India. And so here the Lord says this in the days of Ezekiel, and we can see all of this unfolding because in the days of Ezekiel, what you have is, if you go into the book of Daniel, well, we haven't time to go into it tonight, but in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he sees a man with all those metals through him, the head of gold, the breast and the arms of silver, and the belly or the midriff of brass, and the legs or the thighs of iron, and the lower part of his legs and feet of iron and clay. And Daniel, when he interprets that dream, says, Thou art, O king, thou art this head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was the head of gold. The next kingdom to come was the Medo-Persia king. We read in Daniel chapter 5. We read of uh, Belshazzar's feast. Then Darius the Mede comes. Then Cyrus comes. And we read of Cyrus releasing the Jews to go back under Nehemiah, as we talked about it on Sunday, to come back out to build the temples, the Rubble's temple there. So that was the, the head of gold was a Babylonian empire. Then it's all overtaken by the Medo-Persian, the two arms, Medo and Persia. 
Then there's the midriff, which was brass, and that was Alexander the Great, who was the Greek emperor, the Grecian Empire. And then after that came the Roman Empire, which was the legs of iron. And after that, then, we know, comes out the iron and clay, and the, 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 comes from a pagan Romanism to papal Romanism into a European superstate. So when we are looking at this, we are seeing in Ezekiel 28, the Lord is speaking to Tyrus in the days of the head of gold of Nebuchadnezzar. So then by the time the kingdoms pass, by the time it comes brass, then we see that is the Greek kingdom coming and Alexander the Great conquers it. So that's a little bit of a background. It shows you all the devils and talks about the traffic. If you talk about the trafficking, now, we'll not go to it tonight because this is just a little overview. But you'll read in the, the book, uh, the first book of Kings, and you'll read in Chronicles as well, but you'll read about Solomon and uh, the king of Tyre, Hiram. And they built ships together to go to Tarsus. Because what happened was these Phoenician people were great seafarers. And they would have sailed all around the Mediterranean. And listen, they went further afield. There's actually Phoenician artifacts helping found in these islands. They've been found right up around the north, the coast, right into Scandinavia. The Phoenicians were great sea peoples. And the Israelite and Phoenicians sailed together. In fact, there's been recent times, there's actually been rocks found in parts of the United States, believe it or not, and inscribed are ancient carvings. Guess what? In Hebrew. Ancient carvings in Hebrew. So these people, we think they were just the wee people who run about in camels, and that's not true at all. They were intelligent. They were great seafaring people. And so whenever we are coming now, we're getting an idea of the spirit that was around this land. And that spirit's still up that part of land too. You still see it there. Notice this. Turn with me again to uh, Matthew chapter 15. And remember Mark, 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 Mark chapter 7. Mark, Mark chapter 7. So whenever we see this, we see this woman coming. So, she comes to deity. We later find out that the Lord calls her a dog. I mean, can you imagine Jesus saying that? It's hard to believe that the way. I mean, it's not even as if it's. It's not even as if he's trying to mask this. He's saying, "Do you know who you are?" So let's just look at this for a moment in Matthew chapter fifteen, and it says here in verse twenty-two, and behold. A woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thy son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Notice this. The woman came saying, Have mercy on me. First of all, she came knowing her unworthiness. She came knowing her unworthiness. She knew who she was, where she was from, and her background. She came knowing her unworthiness. You know, and you and I can get that feeling and that mentality sometimes where we feel our unworthiness. Sometimes to have a little glimpse of it isn't too bad because it keeps us right. But at the same time, she comes with her unworthiness. Unworthiness says, have mercy on me. Notice what she says. My daughter is grievously vexed. Grievously vexed with a devil. Now see the term here with a devil. It gives the idea she's possessed with a devil. Not just tortured with one. Not just 
the devil's just annoying her. It means my daughter is possessed. This young woman was out of her mind. This young woman was possessed through and through. It gives the idea also that she was under the power of a demon. She was under the power of a demon. So you can imagine if that was one of our own children, you would put up with anything to try and get them better, wouldn't you? So this woman comes and she realizes this man who she's heard of, he's our only hope. And sometimes do we realize he's our only hope? We can't get better because we try everything else except for him. Albert Benjamin Simpson, he's better known for this, one of his hymns, uh, which he wrote, Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never glory to his name. He grew up in a Presbyterian home. And they didn't believe in divine healing. Said it just wasn't happening. He was very, very ill when he was a boy. But the Lord touched him and healed him. Great miracle happened. And it was a big miracle. It wasn't just a little touch. The Lord touched him and healed him. And so he started going out to, to proclaim the gospel of saving healing the baptizer and the soon coming king, the Lord Jesus Christ. He actually started uh, building up foundations of prayer uh, and also uh, colleges as well. He wanted people to know that this Jesus is still real and alive because he, and, and he wrote in one of his books on healing. He says, the problem, now you're speaking of 100, maybe um, just 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And he, he actually wrote and he says, in his day, People tended to look more to medicine first rather than God. So you can see how much more then faith is, uh, our faith can be uh, oppressed and hindered and even not in a bad sense where it's just what's really being happened. It's, it's society and how we're growing up. We're programmed to look at all these things first rather than realizing Christ first when all others fail and cannot help us. No, it's Christ first and then all others, but you'll not need all others when Christ touches you. And here Albert Benjamin, A.B. Simpson said that people went running to those things first. But he, st- he said no one could help him, the Lord touched him and the Lord healed him. And so that's how he penned uh, the, that hymn, Yesterday, Today, Forever. He says, uh, yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. And he says, still he loves to save the sinful, heal the sick, the lame, cheer the mourner, still the tempest, glory to his name. And that's why he wrote that, because of that. And this woman comes knowing, my only hope is in him. Brothers and sisters, our only hope is in him. It's in none other. I notice this, what this woman does. See, her daughter is tormented. Her daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. This woman becomes an intercessor for her daughter. You know what this woman becomes? She steps into the office of a priest. She steps into the gap. She becomes the mediator between Christ and her daughter. And she is pleading with him and it says that she comes to him she cried on him lord lord oh lord thy son of david have 
Son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And he answered her, not a word. Now notice this. He answered her, not a word. I find it sometimes difficult to read things like this. Why did Jesus not answer her a word? Why did Christ not go directly to see Lazarus before he died? Why let him taste of death? Why did he let that happen? There's things that the Bible tells us about that we just can't explain. Now we know when we read of the story of Lazarus dying and before he died it says, Master, he whom thou lovest is sick and we know that he didn't go uh, to him in time but he raised him from the dead. But why let him taste of that? For Lazarus died again, so poor Lazarus died twice. Why did Jesus do that? You see, there's certain things happen in our lives for the glory of God and we just can't explain it out. We just don't realize why they happen and yet God is glorified in them. And this woman is saying, will you help me? And he doesn't even speak to her. Would you give up? Some Jesus he is. Some Messiah. What sort of a man is this? He's meant to be the saviour. If that was your eye and someone came in and says, would you pray for me? And we sat and just ignored them. They'd probably think, what sort of Christian are you? What sort of Christian are you? Jesus didn't even answer her. Christ is always a reason for everything. And sometimes when you're praying and the heavens seem like brass and your prayers seem to hit the ceiling and fall down around you again, they don't seem to be reaching heaven. See, when my prayers like that, I think of Revelation chapter 1. When John sees him and he had feet like fine brass or burning brass, bronze, And I think, well, at least if the heavens are like brass, maybe I'm at your feet. And I might not think you're here. And I don't know why you're not answering right now, but I know you will. I know it's for a reason. So we mustn't lose heart in that. And it says, and he answered her not a word. And there was no answer came back to her. Listen to this. And she besought him saying, pardon me. And he answered not a word. And his disciples came and besought him saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Now the idea here is, she keeps going on, and on, and on, and on, and on. This woman wasn't going to give up. This woman wasn't going to give up. It was blatant in her face that Christ didn't answer her. She knew she was unworthy, but she didn't give up. She says, I'm not giving up. See, ladies, there's something about you that are more tenacious than us, man. You just have that stickable power, you know. Uh, We're not giving up, especially when it comes to your children. Notice this. She says, she keeps crying after them. Send her away, they said, for she crieth after her. She remained. She wasn't put off, and she was determined. Our answer to prayer brothers and sisters, does not rest upon Christ's ministers. The disciples said in verse 23, send her away, she crieth after us. Notice the disciples said, send her away, Lord. We're tired of listening to this woman. Send her away, Jesus. We don't want her here. Send her away, she's not one of us. She doesn't fit in. Jesus didn't say that either, but Here's something to notice here. When the disciples said it, 
The woman knew her answers weren't dependent on his ministers. And your answer to prayer isn't dependent on the ministers. Your answer to prayer isn't dependent on the pastor. Your answer to prayer is dependent on Christ alone. And they say in verse 30, 30, 23, pardon me, for she crieth after us, wrong, wrong disciples. Although they are saying this, it may be what's known as the royal we. You know, let us, and it's just the one. Come with me. It's the royal we. She crieth after us, and others as the group, but they were wrong. She didn't cry after them. She never prayed to them. She never went to them. She never confessed to them. The only one she came to, sought after, pleaded with, was Christ himself. Was Christ himself. You see, there is only one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And there's none else. None else. There's, there's no, for you and I, there's no saint nor disciple. No, there, there's no priest that we need to reach God with. To pray for us. But Christ our great high priest alone. We cry unto him. And whenever she comes. She's crying to him. And they say Lord. Send her away. She creth after us. O Lord thy son of David. See the word Lord there. It's the word curios. It means. It's a word curios. That means. One to whom a person or a thing belongs to. And about which he has the power of deciding. So when she's saying, Lord, what she's saying is, Jesus, I'm not listening to everything around me. I'm not going to listen to the disciples trying to get rid of me. Look, I'm not going to listen to the church in the sense that, you know, these men around, they have just no patience for me. I'm not going to listen to others. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop pursuing you. I'm going, to not, I'm, going to stop, I'm not going to stop crying after you. I'm not going to stop... Praying unto you. For you are the one to whom all things belong. And you are the one who has the power of decision. There's a woman phoned me tonight. Tea time. I was privileged to call me the reverend. <laughs> And when someone asks you, hello, is that the Reverend Davidson? You know, this is Ken. <laughs> he says, uh, can I help you? And she mentioned someone, I'm not sure who they were, but they, they gave her my number and said that I had prayed with them over the phone and they had vertigo and now they're feeling great. And here, you try them too. <laughs> and I said, dear, this isn't off me. <laughs> you can't just, you know. I just can't. I'd pray for you, certainly, but this isn't. But she was looking at me over the phone. I said, I would even come and visit you. I'll, I'll, I'll come and pray with you. I'll talk to you, see you should have tired a, a, a problem that you needed help with or illness. I says, but it's not me. I said, it's Christ you need. Sometimes people, although they mean good, 
their vision and their focus is placed in the wrong place. I prayed with her anyhow. And she was a nice lady, very, very pleasant, very polite. And I prayed with her anyhow and left her with it. And I said, look, you let me know how you get on, but if you want me to come and see you, I'll do that. And here we find Christ is the one with the power of decision. And this woman says, my vision isn't going to be turned one way or another. My focus is on him. Brothers and sisters, that's of the utmost importance in our, in our walk with him. Now notice this again. Let's look at the, the scriptures. Verse 24. But she answered and said, I am not, or he answered and said, I am not sent but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. The second time we read of her declaring his lordship. You see, the best trial of our faith is when the impossibilities of life stirs us in the face. I'll say it again. The best test of the reality of our faith is when impossibilities stirs us in the face. Because this starts you and I wrestling with God. What do you mean? This woman comes. Will you help me, Lord? Will you help me? And she's going over and over. Will you help me, Lord? Will you help me? Will you please help me? Oh, Lord, will you please help me? Now, he knows her background. He knows where she's from. He knows all about her. Doesn't answer her. She doesn't give up. And then she starts seeing the impossibility. He's not even going to answer me. These men are trying to get rid of me. And she pursues further and starts going from that priestly prayer for her daughter to worship. There's a difference. Because when we worship, we're then not only speaking that he is Lord, we're not only proclaiming that he is Lord, we're not only saying you have the power to decide, but what we are doing once we start to worship is we are showing that he is Lord. We're showing it. And we can say many things, but our hearts are somewhere else. This woman starts to worship and she's wrestling with God. Like when you go home, read Genesis chapter 32. And you'll read of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord all night. Really, the, the angel of the Lord is, was, is a pre-Bethlehem appearance or what's known as a theophany of the Lord Jesus. Wrestling with him during the night. She says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. This woman wasn't giving up. She was wrestling. And you and I, when we start to go into worship, we start submitting ourselves and our wills and our wants. She starts to worship. And you and I can pray and ask and pray and ask and, and pray and ask over and over and over again. But once we start getting to learn, Lord, 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 yes, I see who you are. Worship. This is when we get challenged. This is when we start to wrestle with God in prayer. And don't be just giving up and walking away, but decide and pressing on and pressing through. Worship here. She cries, Lord, help me. Now, she came for her daughter. 
see that? First of all, it's all about her daughter. Now she's going to help me. You see, in the presence of holiness, you see your sin. And I know we say when we get close to God, we, we're great and we're, we're strong and we're anointed, and that's true. But do you see the more you start and the closer you walk with God, the more you see your inability. The more you, see, you know your frailty. The more you sense your unworthiness because of him, his holiness and his glory. And this woman comes and says, look, I'm not worthy. I'm going to worship you. And it came from help my daughter to help me. I see. Now we're getting to the crux. We're getting right to the center point. Starting at the root of things. It says, Lord, help me. And what this is, is love appealing to love. She loved her daughter. And the pain of her daughter is now her pain. And her pain is the love appealing to the love of the heart of God. It's love in need appealing to love and power. And you and I, we come with, when we come with a true heart, a true burden, it's love and need appealing to love and power. It's a love that never fails. And it's a love that never gives up. It's a love that sees the best in the worst. It was a love for her daughter appealing to the heart of love itself. That is the heart of love from the source of love. True love will plead. True love will sacrifice. True love will give. True love will fight. When it's not for oneself, it still gives to see the benefit of others. That's true love. To see benefit on others. That's true love. Now Christ is saying it. How much do you care? Help me. Help me. This woman pleads for her daughter. I deep. Calling on to deep. And recognizing her own inadequacy. Help me. In verse 26, by the way, when you go home, if you want to write down Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, you'll see that love is as strong as death. And when a loved one even dies, if that love doesn't diminish, you still love them. It's as strong as death. Jealousy is as cruel as a grave and so on. It says that many waters cannot quench love. Many troubles won't quench your love. And so here we find in verse 26. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. It shows, it seems like a great insult, but really the word dogs here, it means little dogs. So it, it is still an insult. But Jews at the time thought everybody else were just dogs. 
And so when Jesus is saying this, he's saying it's not. He says, I'm come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm starting here, and the gospel will go further afield. He says, I'm starting here, and this is the gospel first. You see, whenever you have yourself and maybe sometimes, I, I, my, my big dog stays outside, and he sleeps in his nice big warm bed in the garage at night. The odd time, I would open the door and let him walk in, and I'm sitting there, and he's in the, on the tiles in the kitchen. And if I'm eating something, and I'm looking at it, and I see his big eyes looking at me, you know, I just slip him a wee bit. Here. And sure, he just takes it so gently, you know. He's such a big dog, but he takes it so gently. And, and you him a wee pat in the head or whatever, you know, and you're giving him wee bits. And the idea here is Jesus says, I've come initially for Israel, the lost sheep. He says, but in this, he says, what do you want? He says, well, look, can I not be like the little dog that sits at the table and eats the scraps? And she says that in verse 27. And she said this, look, truth. Notice the word, truth. This isn't an insult that Jesus is really doing, but it's a test of faith. If I tell you exactly who you are, if I tell you exactly the point you're at, if I tell you what your heart's really like, if I tell you where you're from, if I tell you exactly what's thought of you, Will you still want to press on in? Will you still hold on? Will you still come? Will you still follow? Will your heart be the same? It's not for dogs. This wasn't an insult, but it was a test of her faith. This shows the overwhelming evidence of this woman's faith. That one must not see the insult when faced with truth pointed out in us. But you and I must embrace it. And act on it. Wow, something was, Pastor preached something this morning and I didn't like that at all. I felt it. I'm not going back tonight. You know? You know, whenever I was always listening to the pastor preaching and it really challenged me and it was like an arrow went through my heart, I actually loved it because I realized, yeah, Lord, you're speaking to me. You know what John Trapp said? He said, truth must be spoken however it be taken. And today we're in this situation of church life where it's, tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. And Christ tells a woman what she needs to hear. And so then within the truth of it hits her. Notice, Verse 26, and he answered and said, it's not meat to take the children's bread, to cast it to dogs. Verse 27, and she said, truth, Lord. Truth, Lord. I know it. You're telling me the truth. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. This woman has such a sympathy for her daughter She cries out truth. Her desperation. This woman's desperation was greater than her own respectability. Now that's some place to get to, isn't it? Where we have a a teachable spirit. 
But the Lord can still say what he wants through his word. And when we know it's the truth, we can receive it, believe it, and act on it. She says, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She humbles herself and worship with Christ when her faith is being tested. Lord, I feel like giving up and running away because you're not answering me and you haven't spoken a word and, you know, I'm pursuing you and nothing's happening. And listen, brother, sister, you keep going. Your faith is being tested. I'm closing this. Thank you for listening. Listen to what the Lord says. Verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thy wilt. And their daughter was made whole from that very hour. I find this really a little strange, maybe I should say. Because he says... Be it unto you as you will, as thy wilt. You know, see as your heart is, you've got it. Now he sees she's able to receive the word to change it. She's able to take it in. He says, then now he says, be it unto you. You're at the right place. I've, I've got you to the right point in your spirit. I wonder if that woman had have had anything else but a heart like that. I wonder would the healing still have happened back home? I wonder if she'd have went away and said, but I can't see the difference until I go home. Would you hold on a wee minute? But this woman says, I want my daughter healed. That's it. Okay, that's it. And I wonder, would there have been a difference in her healing of the daughter and the casting out of this demon if that woman had a thought different and not received the word as he said it? He says, oh, as you, as you are, let it be unto you. Her heart was singly focused on Christ, yet her heart was joined at home to her daughter. That very hour, her daughter was healed. And this is what I've written down. Faith is the key to the supernatural porthole into the heart of God. Faith is the key of the supernatural porthole into the heart of God. He says, great is your faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1 tells us, now faith is the substance of things, evidence of things not seen. It gives the idea of that faith has a feeling, a sense, a strength. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. And through faith we believe that God also made the words. That's Hebrews 1 to 11 verses 1, 2, and 3. And verse 6 says this, For without faith it is impossible to please him. For them that cometh unto God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And the idea of that verse is that they must believe he is, is do you believe God exists? Oh, yes. Well, then seek him, and he'll reward you. 
And the idea is diligently seeking, gives the idea of a, of, of a, like a detective work, building up a case. You, know, you, you read the word and the scriptures for healing and salvation and promises of God and, and then you start and you go and you listen to others and the testimonies that they give, what God had done and how he's done it. Then you're in prayer and interceding for and saying, Lord, here am I. And you, you start to piece the bits together and when it all comes together, that means it's like detective work, diligently seeking him. Verse 23, it says, he answered her not a word. But by verse 28, it says, from that hour. From that hour. God's delays are not his denials. He answered her not a word. But from that hour. God's delays are not his denials. The persistent faith of this woman moved the heart of God so much that it is recorded in his very word forever. Think about it. Who knows what's recorded in heaven in the books for every breakthrough you pray to. So keep going. Keep praying and seeking his faith.